Simon Sinek, TEDx speaker and best-selling author, said exceptional organisations prioritise the well-being of their people, and in return, their people give everything they've got to protect and advance the well-being of one another and the organisation. And this makes sense. How can we perform at our best if we are not feeling well? I'm Sarah Gashia, and this is Workplace Wellbeing in Westminster. I'm a registered nutritionist and wellbeing consultant for the London Healthy Workplace Award. And I work in a team that works with HR directors and businesses to support the health and well-being of their employees. Part of my role involves going out to events, conferences and organisations to spread the good word of workplace well-being. These days, there hasn't been any going out anywhere. Uh, so just like you, in your business, we've had to adapt and think of new ways to stay connected and spread the good word of workplace health to businesses. So I am doing this through a podcast. Today we're going to hear from one of our businesses in Westminster about how they found working during the pandemic and what things they've put in place before and during lockdown to ensure that they are prioritising the health and well-being of their staff. Today we are going to hear from one of the businesses in Westminster that have worked on the London Healthy Workplace Award and we will hear from them on how they have found working during the pandemic. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Stanton, HR and OD Director from the Hospital of St. John and St. Elizabeth. And Paul has over 20 years experience um, in HR management in healthcare. And I've had the pleasure of working with Paul towards achieving his foundation accreditation um, for the hospital last year. And we're going to hear from him about their experience of working during the pandemic and what motivated them to take part in the London Healthy Workplace Award. So workplace well-being is more important now than ever. Healthy employees are happy employees, and happy employees are more likely to be more productive, less likely to be off sick, and stay with the organisation for longer. A recent report that came out earlier this year um, stated that poor mental health among employees cost the UK employers up to £45 Um, pounds each year and these costs come from absenteeism, presenteeism and staff turnover but there are also indirect costs um, such as adverse impacts on creativity, innovation and relationship with colleagues. In London there is an evidence-based framework called the London Healthy Workplace Award and it's based around three pillars corporate support, mental health and healthy lifestyle promotion. And this aims to decrease absenteeism, decrease presenteeism, turnover, and result in more productivity. Sounds good, right? So, that's enough um, from me talking about it. But this morning, as I said, I've got Paul with me. um, And he is going to give us a bit of an idea over um, how they've worked during the pandemic at the Hospital of St. John and St. Elizabeth. the challenges they've had and uh, how they found working on the London Healthy Workplace Ward. Um, so, good morning, Paul. How are you doing this morning? Very good. A little warm, perhaps, but okay. Yes, uh, it is quite. Uh, it is quite a scorcher this morning, um, which is uh, quite strange because we we never get any heat uh, or, or any uh, sun here. So, I think this is our uh, heat wave summer. Um, three, four days, I hope anyway, because nobody has an air conditioner. Um, So firstly, Paul, tell me a little bit about the Hospital of St. John and St. Elizabeth. 
Okay, so <clears throat> we are a independent um, charitable um, hospital. Um, we employ about 600 staff and we have um, a hospice on site um, that deals with um, patients both in terms of in the ward area um, but also in the community and we also provide day services for um, patients um, with palliative care um, related um, conditions. That's yes that's quite a lot quite interesting um, and as I must imagine there's been a lot of uh, pressure and challenges around the pandemic uh, for an organisation like yourselves. Um, so what has it been like working for you in the in the lockdown in the pandemic? So I, I think it's completely changed as all organisations have. We've had to completely change the way we do things, um, particularly in the hospice. It's been challenging because staff are um, tend to be quite um, <clears throat> good at comforting patients and, and relatives. And obviously we had to stop at, at, the, at the peak, stop visitors coming into the hospice. Um, and, and the hospital um, as well and, and that's quite diff difficult for staff it's not what they used to um, we found other ways of communicating with um, relatives um, our day services and um, because those staff of uh, patients are very vulnerable um, obviously we weren't going to bring them in to, to receive the sorts of services that they would receive and sometimes that's their social interaction so that's been an, another challenge we've found ways of keeping in touch with them to the campaign to get some ipads um, for for the patients um, so that the staff could still um, keep in touch with some of our most vulnerable patients um, in addition we've carried on um, offering support to the NHS by um, providing our theatre space and outpatient space to to NHS patients as well uh, as well as carrying on with some of our um, normal um, patients that we would see ordinarily but obviously that had to reduce significantly to um, to enable us to support the NHS that, that's fantastic that you've been able to support uh, the NHS in this difficult time. Um, just having a think about that, um, like what are some of the challenges that the organisation has faced um, and that employees have faced during this time? So I, I think in the first um, few, few weeks, um, there were probably a few things. One was um, public transport. Um, people were anxious about taking public transport. Um, obviously public transport had to be scaled down. So just getting staff to work was a challenge. Obviously in a healthcare environment, not all staff um, can work from home and many can't. Um, so um, th there was a limit to how many people we could have working from home. Some of the corporate functions could, but obviously any clinical or, or patient facing staff couldn't work from home. Um, so one of the things there is I, I found myself securing in the first two or three weeks of the pandemic at its sort of peak um securing car parking spaces um for for staff um in in the local area we're in westminster there's very limited parking in in ordinary times and very few of our staff would drive into work normally um, but obviously they were worried about um a um, making sure that they were uh, on site uh, on time and and with limited public transport that was a challenge but also um making sure that they kept themselves and our patients um healthy by limiting their exposure on public transport because there's a limit to how far you can socially distance um so that was a particular challenge um like all organizations and um, particularly those um, facing the public we saw higher sickness um, rates um, than we would ordinarily see um, and, and that was a challenge in terms of making sure that everyone was um, 
healthy, um, but also that we could still carry on um, with sufficient staff to to do what we needed to do to support the NHS. Yeah. They're, they're really great points, Paul. Thanks for that. Um, and, and it actually is in line with uh, what the evidence is suggesting, um, you know, that's come out now that's looked at healthcare organisations and the things that you've mentioned around um, high sickness rates. And obviously that uh, then sort of creates that um, pressure for the staff that are, are still in having to cover for the, the staff that are off sick. Um, and also that the anxiety they must have had at the start for them, even um, around things like PPE, uh, but also around them contracting it and maybe bringing it home to, to relatives is a worry that a lot of people have talked about. I, I, th I think that's right. We were, I mean, getting PPE was not easy, um, but we were very, very lucky. We used a lot of our um, existing contacts as well as new contacts, uh, and we never um, were faced with the situation of putting our staff into a vulnerable situation with patients without adequate PPE. That said, it was a daily challenge in terms of securing enough goggles, gowns, and, and all of the other bits of PPE equipment that people need um, to safely um, care for people. I think uh, another thing that I would want to highlight is we instigated a, a daily um, bulletin because yeah. things were just so yeah. fast moving. Um, so that went out to our 600 staff and all of the consultants that work with us as well. Um, and again, at the, at the peak, that was on a daily basis we were doing that because things were just moving so quickly. Government legislation and, and guidance was changing almost daily. And we wanted to make sure that our staff had the most up-to-date um, advice and regulations and, and, and guidance as well, as, as well as making sure that those that were working from home um, were still in touch with what was going on in the organisation because it, it can be a little isolating working from home. Mm -hmm. um, you can have Zoom meetings, but that, they're not a replacement perhaps for some of the corridor conversations that you might ordinarily um, have. So we, we put a daily bulletin out and that was really well received, particularly for, by all staff, but particularly by those that were um, not coming on site at all or as much as they would do ordinarily. And we, we felt communication was absolutely crucial um, to try and reduce anxiety and, and provide reassurance on, on what the hospital was doing to try and keep people as safe as possible, whilst making sure that we provided a service um, that was absolutely essential to keep going um, during a pandemic, and particularly the hospice, and particularly um, the, the um, opening up our services to, to the NHS to ensure that those staff could, those patients could be safely um, treated and, and um, receive the treatment, the best treatment that they, they needed. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the point about um, that the corridor conversations and, and Zoom or Teams, Microsoft Teams not replacing uh, those kind of casual conversations with uh, you know, with team members and with other staff, you know, it, I, I feel like that really does kind of foster innovation and creativity. And it definitely you can't replace it by having uh, six hours worth of, of Zoom meetings when you're working from home. Um, so that's definitely uh, a challenge. I think a lot of people uh, that are working from home can relate to. As you mentioned, the bulletin, that's great. Um, you know, as you as we know, communication is key. Uh, what else would you say you have in place or you've done um, to overcome the challenges that the, the staff were feeling, you know, on top of the physical risk of uh, healthcare staff with the coronavirus, the, uh, also the, um, the mental distress, and as we talked about, the, the 
uh, family at home. What, what, how would you say you, you overcame these challenges? Well, we were um, very lucky as, as part of when we formulated our um, application for the um, Health and Wellbeing Awards last year. Um, one of the things that we'd wanted to put in place for some time was an employee assistance program. Um, and I think the award was really good in terms of giving us a focus uh, and a date to, to aim for um, for that. Um, and, and the employee assistance program, it, it provided a 24-hour helpline. And it was an in, in addition to the existing things that we provided, like an occupational health service, like mental health first aiders, speak up champions. It, it was really supplemented all, all of those. And um, either by chance or, or strategy, it, it just so happened that we um, launched and it was agreed before the pandemic, but we launched the EAP, um, I think, in the, the very first week that um, the country went into lockdown. And as I say, we put it in place. That was our agreed launch date. It just so happened happens that it was there and ready for lockdown um, as I say as much luck as anything else but it was something that we had the focus to do um, we, we set up the arrangement with the provider linked to our occupational health service and I think it's it, it's been brilliant to have that uh, to supplement all of the things that we already um, have in place for um, for staff obviously um, the pandemic's brought many things in terms of mental health either directly related to um, to COVID and, and how that affects them, their families, their, their friends, bereavements, um, job situations, isolation, all of those things, um, but also existing stresses that might just be made worse, um, that, that were already there, that might be made worse uh, and amplified um, because of the pandemic. Um, some of people people's normal support mechanisms perhaps weren't around in the same way you couldn't necessarily go out with your friends on, on a Friday night and just sort of download so again it was e even more important than it would be normally so we were very pleased to have that in place and, and very pleased that the, the the awards and the work with um, Westminster Council and, and the London Mayor's Office um, actually um, gave us that drive to, to implement that that's fantastic. So that's perfect timing then, I guess, that, that you started the employee assistance um, programme just before uh, the pandemic started. Um, so that's great then. And the, so you talk about the, the Healthy Workplace Award and kind of how it gave you the push and the drive. Um, what, what made you want to pursue that uh, in the first place, like to, to do the Healthy Workplace Award? I think one is we recognise that healthcare staff um, don't always um, have the the support um, for, for the, their own health and well-being. And I think that's well recognised in, in publications, uh, the sort of classic who cares for the carer um, scenario. I think that was one thing. Um, secondly, so we felt it was the right thing to do. It, it chimes with our, one of our values of compassion um, and, and putting people first, which is one of the things that we um, really um, seek to, to seek to do. Um, secondly, um, healthcare is a very challenging um, market for recruitment and retention of staff, particularly in London. The the reasons for the shortages in in particularly clinical roles are, are well um, well well known. There's four or five really um, high pressure things that makes recruiting and retaining healthcare staff particularly challenging. Um, we are a charity, so we have to be very mindful of how we spend our money but anything that we can do to help um, with recruitment and retention and, and also um, with the health and well-being of our staff 
clearly um, helps them, but also in the long run also helps our patients as well. So it was two things. One is we, we felt it, it chimes with our, our values for, as an organisation. But secondly, we, we felt it would help with our recruitment and retention of staff as well in a challenging um, environment that we operate in. Yeah, um, yeah, they're all really valid points. It is, you know, as you said, it is in the literature. I think everybody knows, and I guess they've seen it in the pandemic, you know, healthcare uh, working in that sector is one of the most challenging sectors um, before even the pandemic, but even more so now, uh, just in, in terms of the way people uh, work and the, the hours and the challenges. Um, but you mentioned kind of retention and recruitment, and that was one of the things you wanted to improve. Um, what's the biggest difference you've seen with the accreditation? And I always ask you this um, when we meet, when we have kind of our catch-ups, um, but I guess it's, it's kind of hard to say after you've had the accreditation straight away, because how do you measure um, how things have improved, you know, after you've re received the accreditation? Um, a year on now, and just thinking about the pandemic and what you mentioned about retention and recruitment, um, what, what's the biggest difference you've, you've noticed or have you noticed any improvement? I, I, I think it's difficult to, to say um, on, on its own and whether because there are a lot of external factors, obviously, in, in COVID over the last five months, it's a very unusual time. So what we're seeing in, in um, certainly in um, turnover, it has been an awful lot lower over the last four or five months. Um, I, what I can't say with any sort of degree of certainty is whether that is either partially or all um, down, down to the award, because obviously some of it will be inevitably because people are possibly a little less reluctant to, to move on to roles um, during a pandemic or actually feel that they actually want to stay where they know, where they're, they're known to colleagues. So it, 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 it's, it's hard to say whether that's all down to um, the award. What I would say is I think focusing on it um, has been a, a, a really good thing. Um, and actually, we've, we, we still continue to recruit to, to roles in a challenging environment. Uh, and our retention has been low. As I say, I, I, I couldn't say that that's solely down to the awards, but I'm sure um, our overall package that, that we um, uh, provide to employees um, can only help us with, with those challenges. Of course, yeah, it's hard to always pin, uh, pinpoint it down to, to one thing, um, but then it, even not um, specifically to retention and recruitment, but how else do you think the uh, award has made a difference uh, a year on? If yeah, so I, I, I think there's a number of things. I think we were doing many of the, the health and wellbeing initiatives um, before um, we, we applied for the award. I think what it's given us is, is a much greater focus on, on seeing all of these initiatives uh, as an overall benefit for, for staff rather than, if you like, being quite separate, distinct things. As I say, it did give us the drive to go and get the employee assistance programme. That timing couldn't have been better for us. But we've um, expanded the number of um, mental health first aiders that we've got. We're just starting to monitor um, how, how many people um, they see, albeit anonymously, because it's very important that a scheme like that is uh, kept anonymous and people can go there um, without fear or favour of that information coming to light. Um, but again, it, it's given us that that focus 
and also in, in preparation for people returning to work we, we appreciate that some people won't have been on site for five months in some cases um, that they will have anxieties about their travel they'll have anxieties about what the site is going to be like when they come back and therefore we wanted to make sure that we expanded the number of people that we've got available to speak to and um, before they come back um, and the other thing that we've done is as well as um, doing departmental risk assessments um, we've done um, we've offered every individual on, on site or in preparation for returning to site a, a um, risk asset an individual risk assessment before coming on onto site and not just a tick box exercise but genuinely a good strong conversation between the supervisor or line manager and the employee and um, at last counts we're, we're over 80 percent of our staff have had an individual um, risk assessment and all staff have been offered one and, and what's the general feeling with staff in regards to um returning to work uh, is there anxiety there or are they kind of looking forward to coming back what's kind of the general i i, I think it's i i think what what this has um demonstrated to me is how different people feel about this particular situation i mean just like many things in life really so i think people are in sort of three or four different categories if you like there's people that are absolutely um desperate to come back or have come back um, already and that may be because they they weren't set up to, to work from home because one of the things is and maybe I should have mentioned it or could have mentioned it earlier but we were not an organization that was set up for agile or home working with single site and really in ordinary times we'd have a maximum of one or two people ever working from home out, out of a workforce of 600 so we were not set up with the, for that but within seven to ten days of the pandemic and lockdown our IT department pulled out all of the stops and, and um, basically and enabled all corporate staff to work from home so there are people that are desperate to work from home to, sorry to, to return to work there are people that are in the sort of camp of yeah it was okay for the first two or three months working from home but I'm a bit bored now I want to come back so there's that category yeah. um, th th there's some people that sort of think well after the summer it will sort of you know will return and it, it, it will be fine then and, and then there there will be a small you know a, a smaller percentage of, of people um that that are uh, you know that do have some anxieties whether that be about the travel um whether that be uh, in terms of the time to travel whether it will be that they've just become a bit unaccustomed to the commute and and everything else or, or people that are genuinely fearful of contracting covid either because of, of their, their own sort of personal circumstances and factors or those within their family and the the, the sort of guilt um, bit that goes with um, people feeling that they're contracting it and going to pass it on for someone in their family that might become really poorly um, with COVID. So I, I think people are in very different, um, if, if you like, sort of um, camps um, with, with how they feel. Um, and that's why we're trying to deal with it very individually. It, it, you can't deal with it as a one size fits all. I think the risk assessments, what they generate is a conversation about what, what we can do to mitigate that. Um, I think as people return to work, we will have sort of our own bubbles in particular departments, um, probably work on rotors, probably staggered start times, all, all, all of those things. But each department and each individual circumstances will be very different because in, in HR, for instance, we're, we're blessed with quite a few staff with their own offices, but obviously in an open plan office, 
um, the arrangements would be very different. Yeah, and I think that's the one of the beauties, I suppose, of um, of you know the flexibility. Is that word flexibility of, of agile working is that you know you can cater for people in both camps or all of the camps really, um, and. Uh, uh, I guess working, as you're saying, like in a hospital where you, you weren't set up for it, but really in a clinical setting, you you can't really, um, well, for now, most people can't um, work from home in the clinical setting. So the fact that you, um, I think you can be commended for, I think, setting up the IT system so the corporate side can work from home in a, in a week. So well done to your IT uh, team. I think well, a big well done to all of the IT teams across the country who've had to kind of... Um, yeah do this everywhere and really make sure everybody was was set up uh for us to be on zoom uh 12 hours a day working from home um but yeah it's really interesting you mentioned that about the the two thoughts uh that that people have really that they really just want to get back into the office or for some reason or another want to stay at home um and that flexibility i think really has uh really has helped and that is something that we we try to um really kind of aim for in the Healthy Workplace Award is it is just a, sta- uh, it's a structured framework uh, as you were talking about earlier it's a framework that helps you to kind of uh, guide your thoughts around workplace well-being uh, and as you said quite nicely earlier I just wanted to highlight about um, stuff that you already had in place and I say this to a lot of organizations before they do the award you might be already already doing a lot of this and it's just an opportunity for you to get recognized for your great work so it's just documenting uh, in a really massive document but it's that's well-being um or all of the um good things that you're already doing so yeah i um i think it really is interesting just to hear different people's thoughts on um on how they've worked during the pandemic um and, uh, and whether they prefer working from home or working from home some of the time or coming in uh, to their organization um one last thing paul what learning can you take away from working in the lockdown or during pandemic uh, that you can take on kind of for future um, future work? Well, I, I think healthcare has always been a sector that, that's always had reasonably um, strong contingency plans for things like um, machinery breaking down, adverse weather, um, staff shortages, um, pandemic flu, even in normal years. So we do an awful lot of work in the sort of contingency planning um, space. I I think one thing for me is probably none of us had ever worked in a a sort of business continuity phase or a um, sort of contingency planning phase that, that had gone on for so long. Um, normally issues that we deal with are, are a bit more local or a bit more short term or seasonal at least so I think that that's sort of one thing I, I think it, it's made us um, feel uh, if you like reevaluate what we do and it, is it really necessary or can it be done in a different way so I, I think there are some um, areas of, of that I, I, I'm personally not um, in the school of oh, well, you know, we, we can um, have everyone working from home afterwards permanently because I think in healthcare that's particularly challenging. And I, I think some some of the staff that, that work from home, even if they're not clinical, they'll feel quite sort of almost guilty that they're not there 
on site um, supporting their clinical colleagues. But, uh, you know, one of the things was trying to make sure that people understood that one thing certainly in, in the peak and at the, at the outset was actually just reducing the volume on, on the site to, to just reduce the, the incidence and the contact, really. So I, I think that that's one thing. I, I think the other thing that for me I, I take away from it is uh, you, you should never assume um, how people are going to react or are reacting um, to, to the situation because everyone is very different and everyone's got their own story or, or, or their own um, thing that they faced during the pandemic. So perhaps it's made made me sort of focus on a little bit more about thinking about individuals and it isn't always about the policy. And as, as I think you'd said, it, it's about the options um, for people um, as long as they, they fit with their roles, because as you say, a, a lot of clinical roles just simply couldn't be done remotely. But there is something about focusing on sort of individuals uh, and what things mean for individuals, um, which is one of the things that I've certainly sort of taken away. It's probably given me a lot more thought as to how are people feeling, because I, I might be feeling very different um, to, to, to someone else um, in, in a similar situation. Thank you um, for that. And just the other thing, as I say, I mean, you know, it may be just good fortune, but having that employee assistance program there for our staff, um, you know, it, the timing couldn't have been been better. And, and um, I think had we not had the award, we probably would have got to the situation of having an employee assistance program. We might not have got to that point of having that contract in place quite as quickly. And as it turns out, essentially... Absolutely. And I, um, it will be interesting, I think, uh, to see uh, when you look at the data from the EAP, uh, to, just to see kind of the pattern or if it's, you know, how much it's been used. Um, I guess you can't compare really to before the pandemic because you've just implemented it. But I suppose it will just be interesting to see kind of what's come through um, from that. So I imagine it would be quite interesting. Um, but no, thank you so much for your insight, uh, Paul, and just the insight into uh, what it's like for um, the healthcare staff for the Hospital of St. John and St. Elizabeth um, and just to to hear really about the people who um, are looking after us uh, and, and making sure uh, you know we're we're protected from coronavirus and uh, and treating people and just to hear kind of how they are coping uh, and what's in place for them uh, so thank you so much for your time this morning thank you very much The pandemic has forced a lot of organisations to do things differently quite quickly. For example, embracing technology. I'm sure you'll agree with me that it was really, really interesting to hear Paul's insight and views of how he's been working and supporting his employees uh, at the Hospital of St John and St Elizabeth. And how uh, their organisation embraced technology and their IT team set it up in seven days uh, at the start of the pandemic to support people, uh, the corporate team, uh, to be able to work from home. And I guess it's really made us think, did we really need to have that meeting or could it have been done over the phone? And I think we'll all agree it could have been done over the phone. But that's not to say that having a meeting or, you know, the, as Paul said, these um, corridor conversations um, are not missed. And I think definitely technology can't replace that. Uh, but I think it is a positive of the pandemic that we've been able to uh, embrace technology. We're seeing more trust from managers, working practices are changing, and we are now truly working in an agile way. More compassion. 
I believe that this is another positive of the pandemic. Like we've all had to fast-track technology, we've had to fast-track becoming more compassionate individuals. And whether this was accommodating for a colleague who had kids screaming, arguing uh, over the iPad in the background, um, or a manager who's had a team member that had coronavirus or who's had a partner or relative that was shielding um, and they've had to uh, look after them and everything else in between. So we can only hope that we have more compassion for people who have any illness, but especially mental illness, as we have all had some sort of mental distress during this pandemic. Thanks for listening. Stay happy and healthy.